Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. Well, good morning. My name is Matt. If you don't know me, I'd love to get to know you. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, over this month, we're uh, walking through the vision of who we are as a church, this idea of fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together as we just walk through. And if you were here with us last week, Wade talked through what it means to have fullness of life for everyone, that the table of God is a table where all are welcome. He talked about the idea that in God is streams of living water that are life itself. And he, he shared the story at the end, which uh, I was watching on the live stream. I was away for the weekend. But it, a story about um, a well being built in Africa and how the guy had mentioned that it is the stuff of life has moved close to home and is easy to find. That when this well moved into his community, all of a sudden his kids didn't have to go off for hours to find water. It was there. And the whole idea of the stuff of life has moved close to home and isn't hard to find. That's what we see in Jesus, isn't it? That life himself came and dwelled among us. And so the question is if the, the, the life of Jesus is a life of living water, how do we tap into this water? How do we experience the full life? Which, of course, has been the question throughout history, right? The Greek philosophers talked about the good life. And what does it mean to live the good life? Socrates said, not life, but good life. This is to be chiefly valued. What is good life, though, has been the question of every advertiser in the last 50, 70 years, whether it's found in a good beer, whether it's found in a gym pass, which has still eluded me. But everywhere you look, somebody's promising you full life. It's interesting, even as we were uh, working on this vision as a staff and elders back in 2020, at the same time that we were talking about full life, the Tri-Leisure Center was offering fullness of life at the same time. That if you come here, if you lift some weights and drink some booster juice and go to the gym, you'll experience the full life. And I didn't take them up on that, obviously, but uh, maybe one day. But fullness of life, where is this found? How do we discover the good life? This has been the question of the ancient Hebrew wisdom writers. They talked about the idea of the wise and the fool, or the the righteous and the wicked. And this morning we want to explore one of these ancient Hebrew wisdom writings. It's in Psalm 1, and so if you have your Bibles, you can open up uh, to the book of Psalms. If you've got the same one as me, which I'd be surprised if you do, it's page 565. Um, if not, I apologize if I led you astray there. If you go to the app, it's whatever it says to go to. So, this is Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaves do not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so, the, or not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. 
Jesus, this morning we come again to the scriptures. We come to this gift of, of, of the scriptures that you gave us through people. And we just right away thank you that you partner with us constantly. We pray that as we open up the scriptures and explore what it means to live a righteous life, to live the, the life in your way, that you would come and you'd speak. Remember the words of, of Peter who says, where else would we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And this morning we want to hear words of eternal life. And so would you come and speak? We give you permission. We give you the floor, Jesus. Amen. So the psalm begins with this phrase, blessed is the one. Now, the word blessed is one that we've tossed around constantly, especially when people sneeze. I guess we don't really say blessed is more bless you, but the idea of blessing is a familiar one to us, but perhaps in its familiarity, we miss out on what it means. So um, one of the ways blessing is being described that I find really compelling is that blessing is reversing the curse. Where, where brokenness came into the world by sin, blessing comes and undoes that. That's one way. Another way, though, um, which is often used in moments like the psalm, is the word happy or lucky, which uh, for some reason our Bible translators don't always like the word lucky because I don't know why. Feels weird, probably, but really what this passage is saying is lucky or happy is the one. How do we live a happy life? Well, the psalmist gives us direction here. In the world, world of the psalmist, there's these two ways of living. The psalmist envisioned two ways of living in the world, the righteous and the wicked. There's two ways of walking in the world. Now, for some of you, that might feel reductionistic, that there'd only be two ways, like, don't they know that there's plenty of ways, plenty of ways of walking in the world? And, you know, honestly, as a Canadian in a tolerant culture, the idea of two ways is one of those things that feels like it bristles up against me. Like, there's an exclusive claim here that one way leads to life and one way doesn't. What I want to do is I want to break this down and walk this through and see what this could mean for us. So first of all, there's two ways of living, the righteous and the wicked. What this means is there's two ways of walking in the world where you have a North Star orientation. That your way of being in the world is either directed in this direction and you're going to walk there, or it's directed in this direction and you're going to walk that way. It's like putting a... Um, an end goal in Google Maps, and then wondering how you get there. The thing, though, is with a good life, with life in the way of God, it's not just about how or where you're going, but also how you get there. It's not just about the end, but the means by which you get to the end. It's like going back to Google Maps, and you put your destination in. Maybe you're going from my house in West Terra here. The way you get here is going to be different if I'm using my car, if I'm walking, if I'm using public transit, which I imagine will take days to get here. <laughs> Our transit system needs some work in town. But the way by which we get to our destination is what it means to walk in a way that the passage imagines. It's not just about your orientation of where you want to get to, but also the way by which you get there. We don't always think about... Um, how we live into something and how that affects. You know, we use the, the phrase, the end justifies the means. 
That doesn't work when we're talking about the way of Jesus. You don't walk in the Jesus way by going, well, I'm going to get there, and it doesn't matter how I get there. The Jesus way talks about we're going to get there and we're going to follow Jesus along the path. And so let's explore these two ways. So first of all, we have the way of the wicked. Now, the wicked are those in in the Psalms who follow broken ways, hoping to find a good life. In Psalm 10, we read about the wicked. It says, In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak, who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts about the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. His laws are rejected by him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will ever shake me. He swears no one will ever do me harm. His mouth is full of lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near villages. For, from ambush, he murders the innocent. His eyes watch in secret for his victims. Like a lion in cover, he waits. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed, they collapse, they fall under his strength. And he says to himself, God will never notice. He covers up his face and never sees. That's the wicked. Now let's be honest. No one sets out to live that kind of life, right? No one's setting out to live a life that lives in ambush to murder the helpless. No one sets out a life that's um, just scheming. What happens in the psalm as we continue, we read that they don't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Nobody sets out this way, but it's a progression. That as you go along the way of the wicked, you slowly become the kind of person that becomes this. Think about the progression of walking in step. And actually, the word step should be advice. It's a translation choice, but it's, blessed is one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. So you go, oh, the wicked says this is the way to go. So you're walking along the road with the wicked, and you go, okay, I like this. And all of a sudden, at a certain point, you stop. And you go, huh, there's something about that. You start to pay attention, then it continues, and eventually, you sit down. And the word for sit here is actually the word dwell. And it's the idea that you're dwelling in a dwelling place. You've made your home here. So you don't ever start to set off this way. But as you chase after your cravings, as you live a life just going after whatever you want, eventually you become the kind of person who dwells in wickedness, who makes your home there. The interesting thing here is that it tells us the company that people take ends up shaping who they become. They're walking along the road with someone and they hear in that person's story something they want. And so they continue walking with it and they end up up living into it. The reality is that we live in a world that is constantly trying to pull us onto broken ways, constantly trying to tell us that there are ways to live that will give us life and fullness and goodness. But then as we live into those ways, we discover that they're empty. We discover that they promised us something that wasn't there. 
And often they come because we live in a world that's um, shaped by the three uh, classical enemies of the soul. And we've talked about this before, the idea of the world, the broken ways that our world functions, trying to find uh, you know, things like greed and scarcity, as we talked about before, or the flesh, the part of us that's twisted by sin, or the enemy, the devil. There are things at play that are always trying to pull us off the road. And so that's the wicked path. And now we continue into the righteous path. We read here in Psalm 1-2, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. The righteous are those, um, again, a word that we are probably overly familiar with but don't always know what it means. Righteous is somebody who lives in right relationship with the divine, with creation, with one, one, one another. Right living. You can think about it that way. The righteous are those, we read, who follow God's instruction to Joshua, who meditate on the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible, day and night, the counsel of God. So the wicked take counsel, or sorry, the, the person who's not blessed takes counsel in the ways of the wicked, the person who's blessed takes counsel in the ways of God. And so it talks about meditating on the law of God day and night. Now just a quick question. When you read this phrase, those who delight in the law of the Lord, who meditate on his law day and night, is this something that you think happens individually or communally? Individually, right? Like, we all have these, right? So we think about the idea of meditating on the word as something that we do by ourselves. What happens if you don't have one of these? You can't do that, right? In the days before, we live in a wonderful day post-printing press, where we all have Bibles. We also have apps. We can constantly have our Bibles with us. But in the days of the psalm, the community had one scroll. And it was either in the temple or a synagogue. And you had to go there to hear the word. And so what happened is you'd go into the temple, you'd hear teaching, and then to meditate on it, you have to remember. And so you remember the teaching of the Torah, and over the week you just chew on it. The word for, um, the word here, meditate, is the same word as like a lion growling over a bone, getting any nourishment it can out of it. Think of your golden retriever chewing on a piece of pig ear, just mowing over it. This is what it's telling us. You go to the temple, you hear this word, and then you come back, and you keep reflecting on it. You go, oh. God said that we're to be a blessing. We've been blessed to be a blessing, so blessed to be a blessing. What does it mean for me to be a blessing? And you reflect on this week in and week out. You come to the table of Scripture, and you have a meal there. Because there's something about Scripture where life is found in places that it isn't anywhere else. Because God has come and met us through it. Coming and meditating on Scripture is something that we want to be about as a community because we want to be about spiritual practices, things we do that bring us into the presence of God. And so meditating on Scripture is an example. A righteous person is somebody who has practices in their life that are constantly drawing them back to God. And so as we think about it, again, the company that we keep will influence the way we go. Somebody who goes down the path of wickedness is being drawn in there by community. And in turn, somebody who goes down the path of righteousness has been drawn there by community. We're designed for community. We're shaped for community. We're created for one another. 
We know this intrinsically, but we sometimes forget when it comes to our faith. We think about following Jesus as something that's me and Jesus. But really, it's something that's we and Jesus. We actually carry each other along. We take each other down the roads to life. And so let's look back at our psalm. Where do these ways lead to? Well, let's go to the righteous way in Psalm 1-3. We read this. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. A righteous person, we read, is like a tree that's transplanted. It's moved from an area that doesn't have good light or good soil, kind of like the front of my house that only has darkness because the sun's behind it, and it's taken from there and it's brought to a place that's well watered, with light, with good soil. A righteous person is somebody who's been brought to a stream and is given life, like Wade talked about last week, where the stuff of life has moved close to home and isn't hard to find, except this week, it's actually you've been moved to the stuff of life. That God's taken you from one place and put you in another. And so how does a righteous person grow? Well, as they, as they chew on the scriptures, as they take part in spiritual practices, they end up setting down deep roots, much like by a tree by a river whose tree, uh, roots are always well watered. We, as we sit in the word, are watered by God. I got a picture up here, Manny, if you could toss it, of Drumheller. We were here a few weeks ago. Um, it's one of the best parts of Alberta, mainly because I was a kid who grew up, you know, playing with dinosaur toys, and then Jurassic Park came out and changed everything with how wonderful it was. When we were in Drumheller, though, a couple weeks ago, um, Sam stopped in at Walmart, my wife, and uh, the kids were in the car, and Brendan, our three-and-a-half-year-old, really likes being with Sam. He loves his mom more than the rest of us, I'm pretty sure. And so as Sam went into Walmart, he's sitting there crying, and... Uh, you know, as a dad, you try to distract your kids when they cry sometimes. You know, we tried the comfort, it didn't work, so then it's like, okay, I play this game where it's like, hey, Brennan, do you see this? Do you see this? Right? Trying to get him to fixate on something. So it's like, Brennan, do you see any trees? And then I remembered where I was. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, we're in Drumheller's, there's no trees here. <laughs> and he's looking around for trees, which helped for a second, and then eventually we spotted one on the horizon. And that's because the land there isn't good for trees. And interestingly, the land of Israel is quite similar to that. There's not much for trees found until you get by streams of water. And I don't know if you can see it on the edge there, um, behind the, right in front of the hills at the back, there's a band of trees that happen there. Do you know why? The Red Deer River's right there. There's a band of trees because there's a river that runs through that valley that actually carved out that valley, and eventually all the trees could live there. And so you might see one tree here or there. They're not doing overly well because there's not an abundance of life in that part. It can't sustain trees that grow big. It can't sustain the life they need. This picture makes a lot of sense for us in our lives as well. For us to be able to grow fruit, which means to have an abundance of life, we need nutrients. We need something feeding us. So many of us have probably tried to do this on our own. If we just get enough willpower going, eventually we can make a difference. If we get enough willpower, we might be able to change. I mean, we all know this from January 1, right? But eventually willpower runs out. 
but not this person. Instead, we read this person is someone whose leaves do not wither. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, seasons don't affect us. We're into fall. The leaves are turning. They're not withering, though. They're not dying out from an abundance of water. To wither means, you know, it's, it's May, and your leaves are popping, but they're already drying out because there's nothing there for you. So it's not an issue of that. Instead, it's an issue of there's just constant life, and so we grow fruit in season. Because we're well-watered, we have enough. But what does a tree need to do to get life? It needs to set its roots deep. And then the passage continues and says, and whatever they do, they prosper. Now, who hears that and goes, hey, I've done the good thing before, and I don't have a big car, a big truck, I got sick last week, whatever it is that we judge prospering by. We have concepts in our mind that we define prosper by, not based on Scripture, but based on our culture around us. We think that prospering looks like, you know, success, retiring at 55, having that big house, having the 350, not just the 250. But that's not what prospering means. Prospering means that things are well with you, that you're living in the abundance of God where there's enough, that you're experiencing the mercy and goodness of God that chase after us all our days, that our lives are lived in congruence with God's way, with the way we were always designed. You see, the, kind, the person who's righteous has become the kind of person that can live into the abundance of God, the kind of person who is full of love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, and gentleness and self-control. Not because they're special. Not because they're amazing. Not because they have more willpower or more discipline than the rest of us. But they can become that kind of person because they're people who practice putting their roots deep into the river of life of God. And as a result of experiencing the love and goodness and peace of God, they become people of love, goodness, and peace themselves. The way of the righteous leads to life and fullness. But the way of the wicked leads to emptiness. We continue on. Sorry, Manny. Uh, the next, I probably jumped out of order, didn't I, Manny? Uh, the way of the wicked leads to emptiness in Psalm 1. Four to five. So we continue, not so the wicked, they are like chaff, that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. So let's go to the next one, back to Jerome Heller here. They're like chaff, it says. Now, chaff would be like a tree that tries to grow right in those hoodoos in front of us. It might spring up enough right out of a storm or a good seasoned year of rainfall, but after a couple of years, there won't be anything left to it. They've gone down broken ways hoping for life. But their roots didn't tap into life. They didn't draw up life. And that's why it says they can't stand in, in the judgment or the assembly of the righteous. Now we hear those things and we think of, you know, end-of-life things and eternal judgment, but really in the passage they're about today. Somebody whose life has been spent on telling lies, on brokenness, on um, wickedness and unjustness, can't stand in judgment 
Like if you go to courts and you're known as someone who doesn't have truth in them, why would anybody listen to you? And in turn, if you're not a, right, or a just person, why would you have a place in the community of the righteous? Because another word for righteous is justice. So if you're not a person of goodness, you're not a person of righteousness, you, you don't belong. You've been seen to be empty. There's all sorts of paths around us, all sorts of ways that promise us life and fullness. But they end up taking us to broken ways. And that's why we need the scriptures. That's why we need to practice the way of Jesus because the way of Jesus leads us to life. Because Jesus is the way of fullness of life. We read in the, the scriptures that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Torah, the law and the prophets. That all the Old Testament was pointing to him. And so this passage here is actually pointing to Jesus. As we walk with Jesus, as we walk in his ways, we discover life. We discover the good way. So how do we do this? Well, in Matthew 7, 24, uh, we read this. Therefore, anyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We live into the Jesus way by practicing it. The Jesus way is not something we just think about. The Jesus way is not just a box that we check off saying that we're a Christian. Instead, the Jesus way is a life that's oriented around Jesus. It's a life he describes in the Sermon on the Mount. He begins the Sermon on the Mount by Beatitudes, by blessings, by saying, here are the people who are blessed in my kingdom, which are all the people we expect not to be blessed. And then he tells us about two ways. He says, you've heard it said before, but I tell you. He's describing a way of life that's about vengeance, that's about not getting what you want. It's about... Uh, hating your enemies, and then he says, but I tell you, on the other side, there's actually a good life, a life of forgiveness, a life of mercy, a life of joy. Jesus describes that there's a good way to live. And then he continues to tell us that there's two roads. You can talk a road that leads to life or a road that leads to destruction. And he says that his way leads to life. And then he ends his sermon by saying, my life, and if you practice it, you'll find a foundation that's worth living your life on, or building your life upon. Practicing life in the Jesus way is the way that we believe life is found here. That if we orient our lives around Christ, we'll find life. Eugene Peterson writes, to follow Jesus implies that we enter into a way of life that is given character and shape and direction by the one who calls us. To follow Jesus means picking up the rhythms and ways of doing things that are often unsaid, but always derivative of Jesus, formed by the influence of Jesus. To follow Jesus means that we can't separate what Jesus is saying from what Jesus is doing and the way that he's doing it. To follow Jesus is as much or maybe even more about the feet as it is the ears and the eyes. Friends, living into the Jesus way involves our whole lives. It's not just about what happens on Sunday mornings. It's not just about a life of prayer and in mornings or evenings. It's about your whole life. It's about walking with Jesus and realizing that he's leading us into his ways of life. 
And so how do we practice Jesus' way? Well, we do it by apprenticing with him. Anybody done an apprenticeship with their work before? A few of us. Excellent. Ben was an apprentice last year with me, where he got to learn how to be a pastor from me, and so any, I'm sorry. <laughs> Start there. Uh, I had my internship where I pa- pastored with a guy named Mike. And my internship was built around three main things, which are the same things that our apprenticing with Jesus are built around. First of all, I was to be with Mike. Mike wasn't here and I was over there. Instead, I worked with Mike. I spent my days with Mike. I learned from him. I watched how he did things. I spent time with him. And then I was to become like Mike. That I would become a person who was modeling after the same sort of things, that I would learn how to pastor from him, but learn how to carry myself too. Like I'd go to hospital visitations, which was a new thing for me, and I felt awkward, but I could be with Mike and go, oh, well, that's what, that's what I should be like. I should be not frantic right now or whatever it is that's going on inside of me. And then lastly, it was to do what Mike did, that he'd teach me how to preach, that he'd teach me how to care for people, that he'd teach me how to do things. Maybe for some of you, you'd be an electrician, you had to work with your master electrician, and you'd spend time with them. You learn how to be like them, to walk onto the job site and do things, and then how to, to do the things they did, how to wire things properly so they don't burn down. Jesus calls us to live a life of apprenticeship, a life of walking with him. And the beautiful thing is, he's with us. Jesus is constantly with us on the way. He's constantly walking down the road with us. And as we finish up here, I want to think about the metaphor of trees. Because I think trees have a lot to show us about living life in the Jesus way. So the first thing is that trees need to set roots down. If a tree's not rooted, it's not going to survive, right? If a tree seed falls, like let's say I have a little sapling I put on my concrete, it's going to shrivel up and die. We need to be rooted in Christ as well. In Ephesians 3, we read that we are to be rooted and established in love. Now, the thing that Ephesians doesn't say is it doesn't say, now root and establish yourself in love. Instead, it says that you are rooted and established in love. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, Jesus has done that work where he's transplanted you from one thing and planted you into a whole other thing. You have been rooted and established in the love of Christ. The question is, though, can your roots go anywhere else? We can have our our roots established in Christ, but then we can send a shoot out somewhere else. If we end up spending our time focusing on other things and dwelling on other things, our roots can actually go into other things, into broken ways that don't have life. It's like my little plant on my window. It constantly moves towards light, so it's bent and crooked, so occasionally I just turn it a little bit trying to get it to stand straighter. In the same way, the roots of our life, if we don't keep them in Christ, we'll end up pulling into other things. And this is why it's important to do practices that root us in the love of Christ, that bring us back to him, that draw life up from him. Things like prayer and Sabbath, fasting and scripture reading, silence and solitude, gathering together and worshiping. These are vital practices to draw us deeper into love of Christ. Secondly, a tree takes a long time to be fruitful. 
Anybody ever planted a sapling and hoped for an apple that year? No, it doesn't work. It, it takes somewhere between two to seven years to get an apple. If we think about following Jesus in those terms, it helps. Any, anybody said, Jesus, would you give me patient, patience and get more frustrated at yourself when you're not patient the same day? Yeah, we do that all the time, right? We have short-term mindsets of how we can grow. But we're created to move slowly, to embrace patience, to realize it's going to take a long time to grow, which should be good news. You might not be the kind of person you want to be today. You might not be patient and loving and kind in where you want to be. But over time with Jesus, he'll continue to shape you to be the kind of person he's designed you to be. So, don't think of yourself as something that gets microwaved and instantly changed. Think of yourself as something that gets slow roasted or smoked and it takes days to get there. Because apprenticing with Jesus becomes, or is the work of a lifetime. This isn't a short-term calling, this is the rest of your life. It's learning how to do this over the long haul. So while trees need other trees to be fruitful. I know that the University of Saskatoon is doing amazing work where they keep adding tree branches to trees so that we can have apple trees that can grow really great apples in the prairies. But that's an anomaly. <laughs> trees need other trees. An orchard needs a variety of trees because trees only grow fruit when they get pollinated from another tree. In the same way, we need each other it's hard to be people of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control without other people. I can be really loving and really patient when it's just me. But then my kids come into the room and it can be all gone just like that. <laughs> we need each other. We help each other grow. We, as Hebrews says, we push one another onwards to love and good deeds. And then as well, a tree grows best among other trees. One of the things I learned this past year uh, from a, a biologist out in BC is that trees, we used to think that they fought for sunlight, but instead they share sunlight in a forest. Through their root system, they grow together and they share sunlight and nutrients together. And I think that's beautiful for us. We share sunlight and nutrients of Christ together. That as we tell stories of what God's up to, how he's moving, we actually encourage one another. We actually build one another up. I had this happen a few weeks ago. I was meeting with Harm Mulder, and he was telling me all these stories of how God's been faithful in his life and in the life of our community over the last dozens of years. And it built me up, and it encouraged me. We need one another. And then as well, root systems anchor trees together as well, too, don't they? A tree by itself in a field can get pushed over in a storm. A tree in a forest can stand strong. I've had this happen in my own life with some friends, Luke and Keith, who we'd meet together every week, and we'd have read scripture, and we'd share what God was doing. We'd ask questions of each other of how have we look like Jesus this week? How have we been people of love? And, and we'd challenge one another where that wasn't happening, then we'd pray together. It rooted me, it established me, it anchored me. Friends, the way of Jesus is never practiced alone. Community is vital. 
We need to remind each other, to challenge each other, to carry each other, to weep with each other, to celebrate with each other. It's in the words of Hebrews again, push one another onwards. The way of Jesus is not a solo sport. It's a team sport. So let's go together. Let's not forget one another. Let's carry each other along. Let's follow Jesus wherever he's going because we don't take him anywhere. He's already there. You know, we can say, Jesus, would you go and be with them? But the truth is, Jesus is everywhere. So instead, we walk together with Jesus and say, Jesus, what are you up to here? Where are you at work and how can we join you? And so as we prepare um, for the table, I want you to reflect on a couple questions. The first is, Jesus, what way am I setting my roots into? And the second is, Jesus, who am I walking the Jesus way with? Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.